The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus began to say to all in the synagogue in Nazareth, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, except Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to, to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Christians are not utopians. We never have been. We never will be. There is an acceptance of the world as fallen and a desire to combat the fall through virtuous living. The Christian worldview is not sentimental or romantic in its outlook. Christians are to be serious people. But the Christian outlook is hopeful. Right. So it turns out that you can be both serious and joyful at the same time. But that's important to remember because we can so easily get frustrated or anxious when things don't go the way that we think they should. We think that we are entitled to a certain life and we can make demands on one another and on to God to provide that life. But our gospel is a reminder that that is just not the case. When Jesus returned to Nazareth, his reputation already preceded him. He was baptized by John, and that was a, 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 some a momentous event to be sure. He had performed some miracles, not recorded in Luke, but almost certainly, for example, the turning of water into wine had already taken place. So people were anticipating something. And especially after we, we heard the full text last week and the end of that text this week, uh, he, where he reads a prophetic text from Isaiah and he applies it to himself. He says, this text has been fulfilled in your hearing. The energy level around Jesus was probably quite high. And so the, the people seemed to be very happy to have the Messiah in their midst. They were amazed that it was actually one of their own, right? It was the hometown boy, right? We, we had something to brag about here, a fellow Nazarene, 
this son of Joseph, he would be the one who would fulfill prophecy. And Jesus must have sensed their excitement and even more their projections into the future. Jesus always had, had this way of knowing where, where people's minds were sort of wondering. If our native son did those things for those people out there in Capernaum, imagine what he is going to do for us. But Jesus did not like to be used. He wasn't the evening entertainment or a quick fix for the ingrate. He did not even want them to entertain the notion that he would be the solution to their immediate problems. He would not be the source of their utopian vision. So he predicts the proverb that they might say to encourage his action in his hometown, doctor, heal thyself. And he goes on, and you will say, do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. Now at this point, all would have been nodding their heads in agreement. Oh yeah, yeah, you, you, you exactly. You know, you, you, you know exactly where we're going with this, Jesus. This, this is all good. We're all, we're all tracking here together. But Jesus has well some, some bad news. We don't usually equate Jesus with bad news, but here it's, it's going to be a tough diagnosis. Here, he isn't going to do the same thing for them that he did elsewhere. And the truth is, we really don't know why. Right? Maybe they would idolize the miracles and they would not see the purpose of the miracles, which was to point to the everlasting uh, eternal life that is found in Jesus Christ. But he reminds them, as if to add sort of insult to injury here, hey, in your own texts, right, in our own scriptures, there are stories of, for example, Elijah and Elisha not providing for all. Right? Not all of the uh, sick were healed, and not all of the hungry were fed. So, whatever it is that you are hoping to get from Jesus, okay, it should not be cast in some utopian vision, which, frankly, Christianity is often sold that way. That is not the ultimate purpose of Jesus, and it is not the Christian's final aim. Now, of course, we do believe, ultimately, in, in, in our being brought, resurrected into a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no more sorrow, no more death, no more disease, and uh, something like an eternal feast. We do believe and hope for a, a future world where sin and death no longer plague us. That will begin at the last judgment. But, to a certain degree... Jesus' refusal to heal is a signal that it is not perfection that is to be our life's work. Sometimes only some are healed and only some are fed. Now the response from the people was not exactly one of understanding. I'm reminded of something I read just yesterday. I never really thought about it. People are often criticizing Jesus for his teaching, and you know what he does? He turns around and criticizes them for their learning. <laughs> you know, 
But the, so the, the people don't seem to want to hear what he has to say. So they fully intend to stone him to death. That, that's the purpose of throwing someone off of a cliff. That's just the first stage of the stoning execution, right? So he doesn't heal every, uh, every sick person. He doesn't feed every widow, and they're going to stone him. And it's only thanks to this miraculous escape where he sort of somehow disappears in their midst that he isn't stoned. But they said, hey, either you produce the world that I want, the world that I'm insisting on, the world that I demand, or we will kill you for refusing. They wanted perfection, and they would not deal with anything less. And in many ways, that sounds like the increasingly unreasonable world in which we live. Our world, as it loses touch with its Christian roots in particular, is increasingly binary. All right, you're either right or wrong, left or right, black or white, good or bad. And we're so often stuck in those camps because we really do believe that those camps provide the path to a better world, maybe even a perfect world. Those intransigents, if they would only do as they're told, if they would only fall into line, we could finally have the world we all say we want. If only some would pay more taxes, if the corporations would stop poisoning the air, if people would get vaccinated, etc., etc. And we're becoming less civil. Profanity is obviously on the increase. Anger is on the rise. And I know why we have such political polarization. It's because we are witnessing a titanic war between competing and incompatible worldviews. But it doesn't change the blaming and the shaming that each side hurls at the other. We are on edge, like maybe we've never been, at least in a while. We trust each other less. Crime rates are going up. We're told racism is our greatest threat. We're, we're pitted against each other all the time. We've lost trust in institutions like media, our education system, healthcare. There was a poll this week, some 60, 70% of people uh, responded that yes, the media was the enemy of the people. That's pretty strong language, right? And so you're on one side or the other. And the only thing stopping us from being where we want to be are the people on the other side. But Christians are not utopians, not of the left or of the right. We don't get to whine to God when everything is not like we want it. Not all of the lepers will be healed, and not all of the widows will be fed. And we don't get to curse God for that reality, and we should never expect that everyone will agree with us. While we definitely should possess a vision of the way things ought to be, and there are definitely enemies of God, uh, or those who harm society by rebelling against God's will, that should not catch us by surprise. So, we keep moving forward. We keep educating our children, we keep proclaiming the gospel, and we do all of that in love. 
which reminds me of our text from 1 Corinthians 13. Most often heard at weddings, Paul's teaching about love really comes in the midst of this uh, long passage on the spiritual gifts. And what Paul seems to be saying is that whatever spiritual gifts you possess, tongues, healing, prophecy, translation, if they are not offered in love, they are of no help to the world. So to all the utopians out there, Christianity offers a way forward that does not demand perfection. Rather, it is defined by love and the attributes of love, which does not mean being soft or weak or affectionate per se, but rather purposefully committed to particular virtues and habits. Christians do not work for a perfect world, but for a more perfect world, defined by patience, kindness, modesty, the, 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 uh, the virtues and aspects of love, as Paul defines. This love is self-effacing and strong, bearing all things, including injustices. Love is hopeful. It can endure hardship. You see, the problem with expecting a utopia is that you will be constantly disappointed. Christians are never disappointed because perfection, this side of heaven anyway, is not our goal, just as Jesus' goal was not to heal all. Rather, we call people to a more perfect world. There is no easy utopia out there. It doesn't exist. And rather than pouting about it or blaming God, we exercise a disciplined love for each other. And we trust that in the end, that love will win. Amen. Amen.